When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome on in, Eagles fans, to episode eight of the No Huddle Show, our Philadelphia Eagles podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Gillian. With me, as always, Elliot Shore Parks and Mark Eckel. They cover the Eagles, and they covered a 20-10 loss at the link, the home opener on Sunday afternoon. It was as ugly as a football game as you can imagine. We're going to talk about it now and what it all means as the Philadelphia Eagles go from Super Bowl hype to 0-2. Let's start here. We'll start with Mark. Um, your thoughts as that game played out. I mean, it was from a – I was watching at home on TV. It was as ugly as you can imagine on TV. Buck and Aikman were all over it saying that as the game went along. What did you think as you were watching it as the Eagles go to 0-2? To be honest, Joe, I didn't know what to think. I, I is it, <laughs> Like I told you last week, I wasn't surprised at all by what happened in Atlanta. I really wasn't. I, I'm not surprised. They, I'm surprised Parky missed a field goal. That's the only thing that, that kind of surprised me. This took. I, I never saw this one coming. I never thought the Eagles' offense could look this abysmal for four quarters. Yeah, a quarter here, a couple slumps here, a little you know defense, but not. I didn't. And as a matter of fact, when it was when it was only six nothing at the half, I said the Eagles are going to win this game. They're going and they're, they're going to win. They'll pull away. They'll they'll put another second half together like they did against the Falcons. They're only down six. They played as badly as I thought they could play. And they were and they were only down six nothing. I'm thinking they're gonna all right, they're gonna they're gonna get it together. And it just never happened. It never got together and it just got worse. I mean they block a punt to start the second half, you know, it, it's just it just got worse. It was a it's as bad a game as I can remember in a long, long time. You know what I was thinking during the game? I was thinking all off season, I said this guy Sam Bradford wasn't the answer, and then I got tricked by training camp and, and preseason because he did. He looked good in preseason and training camp, and you know we've done this is what episode nine or eight of this podcast, and you know for the first few, I was trying to say this is the risk you bring in Sam Bradford. He's not a career winning quarterback. He dun- he dinks and dunks the ball, and he has never played up to that potential. And then he showed that. In, in training camp and preseason, he did. And, you know, Echo told me he's covered the NFL for, you know, longer than I've been alive, did not to buy into it. When I started covering the NFL. <laughs> he's covered the NFL, you know, for a long time, and he said, don't buy into the preseason hype. And I think a lot of us were, and a lot of us, you know, were guilty of that. And what you've seen over the past two weeks is, is exactly what, you know, these flaws were thought to be coming into the season. The quarterback has not played well. I know everyone wants to blame the offensive line, but at the end of the day, He's not playing well. He's four interceptions and a fumble in two games. He's dinking and dunking the ball. He's just not playing well. And, you know, the offensive line, the two guards, those were the two 
spots everyone thought could be a problem. They've been a huge problem. They're not able to get anything going in the running game. And then you look at the secondary. Byron Maxwell, you know, we debated this on the podcast. Is he worth $63 million? And I understand that's what the market called for, and that's what they had to pay to get him in here. And he shouldn't be crucified for what he got paid because everyone would take that money. But he has not played well, and that was someone they paid to bring in to fix a problem. So you look at the three problems from last year, you know, the offensive guard, the secondary, and the quarterback, and the three moves Chip Kelly made to try to correct those problems, and through, through two games at least, at least the two games that count, not, not the four preseason games, the two games that count, though none of them have been a solution to the problems that kept not the playoffs last year. They haven't been. And I'm glad you brought up Bradford there, Elliot, because I feel like uh, you know, all the reaction on Sunday night into Monday was a lot about everything around him. But Bradford, I think you bring up a great point. We'll get into that. But your point on Chip, I think, is where we should go first here because – Chip made a lot of changes. He got trust from Jeff Lurie to make these changes, to be the personnel guy, as, long, as well as being the coach. And through two weeks of games that count, like you were just saying there, Elliot, they have not worked out. I mean, this team has never really looked this bad. I mean, maybe those games in October of his first year when Barkley had a play and had injuries at quarterback before they went on their run, but this is his third year. That was his 35th game coaching in the NFL, and they looked maybe worse than they ever have it's supposed to be progress here, Mark, but that, this isn't progress. They've gone backwards. Yeah, I, well, I don't know what I can add to that, except that the one thing, if you would have said to me yesterday, before the game, I, they, guarantee me one thing that's going to be good today. I would have said the running game. Or even if you asked me before the season, what's the one given that the Eagles have? Other, I, I'd probably tell you special teams as well, but... I thought this team would, at worst, be be able to run the ball. I'm I wasn't a big Bradford guy. I wasn't, you know. I thought he's okay. I thought maybe in in this offense he'll look better than he really is, and 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 he'll win some games. But I thought a running game with Demarco Murray and Ryan Matthews and and Darren Sproles, and yet a line was different. But I thought, okay, you still got a Pro Bowl center. You have two very good tackles, one borderline Hall of Famer in Jason Peters, Lane Johnson, very very solid. I thought, okay, and everyone on the Eagles, from the players to the coaches to the guy that, that comes in and cleans the floor, told me Alan Barber was going to be really good. <laughs> I mean, and, and I'm okay, and guards are hard to judge, let's be honest. But we watch it, it's really tough sometimes to see. And Alan Barber had never, had never really played much for the Eagles. He played a, a half against Green Bay two years ago. He played a quarter against the Redskins or against Jacksonville last year before he got hurt. So I, I'm, okay, what do I know about Alan Barber? But they told everybody, I'm telling you, everyone raved about Alan Barber. So I'm thinking, okay, Barber must be okay. Well, the running game is is just, it's, I mean, DeMarco Murray is on pace to gain 88 yards this year. <laughs> 88, that, that was a bad game for him last year, 88 yards. The, 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 the thing to me that, like, you know, you talk about Chip Kelly and, you know, he had his worst game as his 35th, his 35th game in. I remember a lot of this talk two years ago when they had those two really bad games back-to-back against the Giants and Cowboys, both at home, I believe. And I think the offense scored a total of, of six points or something really low like that. And You know, there were quarterback issues. But I just think whenever Chip's offense struggles, people want to point out, oh, the, you know, they've figured him out. Like, this is it. This is the end of Chip. And that, I don't think, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. I you know, even though they've lost five out of six games, the offense still, you know, aside from yesterday, in those six games, you look back to the last season, I mean, they put up points 
uh, against the Redskins. I mean, they put up points against the Giants. They, they, they struggled against the Seahawks, but the Seahawks are, you know, one of the better defenses of the past few years. So I don't think this is – this is not a chip problem. I mean, he certainly holds blame for it, and clearly his game plans have not been ideal because it's not working. But I don't think this is an issue where you can say this is the end of chip. This is, this is personnel. This is exactly what, what Mark was just saying. I mean, the guards aren't playing well. And when the guards aren't playing well, you can't. He's very good, but he's not playing like he's very good right now. Who was that? The center, is, who, is, who I think is very good, isn't playing very very well. Even, even Jason Peters has not played well. I mean, nobody on the offensive line has played well. And so what you have to ask yourself is, is this going to – I mean, really, it's like, is it, is, are they going to just play better? And, you know, a lot of the talk since the last yesterday is, what, what are the Eagles going to do? You know, what, what are the changes going to be? There's nothing they can do. There, there's no backup offensive lineman they could put in there that will be better. Like, maybe they put Matt Tobin in there and they, they you know, hit the jackpot – and he ends up being good. But chances are he'll be the same level of play that the people that are in now. I mean, there's a reason Tobin didn't start a single preseason game over Andrew Gard. I mean, he didn't he, – they wanted him to win – they wanted him or Moffitt, you know, somebody to step up and win that job. And basically Gardner got it by default. So, you know, everyone's saying, what are they going to do? You know, you, you can't you, – your running backs who are they are. The offensive line and the depth are that, – that's who it is. And it's what Chip said today. Um, he was asked, you know, you made all these changes on Monday. He was asked, you know, you made all these changes – are you still confident in it? And his answer was, well, our players are who they are. There's nothing There's nothing they can do. So I don't think this is about game, uh, about Chip's scheme, about his offense. This is the offensive line's not playing well, and the quarterback won't throw the ball more than 10 yards. And so they're dinking and dunking down the field, and you're counting on these players to make people miss, and that's fine, but it's that's not a consistent way to win. You can't consistently count on your players. You can't count on the defense to consistently miss tackles. You have to scheme and have your quarterback – throw the ball down the field. So what happened, I guess, is the question. I mean, I know we say we, maybe we got fooled by the preseason, but we saw some talent on this team, whether it was preseason results or just with our eyes in these games, saw some talent. We know Chip Kelly's a good offensive coach. We've seen that for years and years at every level. And now, I mean, yesterday the numbers are just, you look at them and you say they can't be real. They had 45 penalty yards at halftime. They had 21 yards offense. Shut out. I mean, every single number you look at from that game it's, it's almost unbelievable. So what happened? Why are they playing so poorly right now? Is it just a, a matter, Mark, of good players like Kelsey and Peters just having bad moments, or is this a deeper problem? I mean, how does a team that looks like it has talent play that bad in a game? Well, it's a combination of everything, really. I mean, it's, it's let's start up front with the offensive line. That's, they, like we said, they just haven't, they haven't played well. The, from Peters, from Jason Peters, who, like I say, is a borderline Hall of Famer, to Lane Johnson on the right side and everywhere in between. They just haven't – the offensive line is not – has been outplayed by both Atlanta's and Dallas's defensive front. Okay, so we'll start there. The quarterback, as Elliot pointed out, has not played well. And not only has he not thrown the ball downfield, which he's never done, he's, he's making the mistakes that they got him to not make. The reason what, – what Chip Kelly did not like about Nick Foles was his – he wasn't decisive. He didn't make. He didn't get rid of the ball quickly, and he didn't make great decisions. Bradford was supposed to do all that. We didn't know, you know, how talented he is, how great, you know, what, what. But he was. He got rid of the ball quickly. He made good decisions, and he was very decisive. Well, yesterday he was none of those three things. He did not make good decisions. That interception in the end zone was one of the worst decisions I've ever seen a quarterback make. That was not the place to throw the ball. He threw it where only Sean Lee could catch it. His guy had no chance. 
So that was he held the ball too long on certain plays. That again, that that's what Nick Foles did, and that's what that's why Nick Foles is is a St. Louis Ram now. So Bradford's not playing well behind the offensive line. Uh, let's go on. Brent Selleck, you know, a tight end who's been known to be a pretty good blocker. They asked him to stay in a block yesterday to help. He got beat a couple times. So I mean, you can go on. It's it's not as Kip said today. It's not one guy. It's a it's it's a combination. It's 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 a team offense that is just in a in a terrible funk right now. Can they get out of it? Yes, I think they can. I really do. I don't. I'm not writing this season off by any means. And they're playing in a division where eight and eight might get you to the playoffs. I mean, to to me, I I look at it. And, you know, Joe, you say what happened from the preseason to now. And to me, I just think the biggest difference is the speed of the game. When you're in preseason, and you know, this is what people kind of cautioned during the preseason was. These teams aren't game planning for you. Not only are they not game planning for you, it's just not the same level of competitiveness. It's just, it's not, I mean, it's different. It's a completely different game. So, you know, when you saw them look against Green Bay and you're like, oh, man, Bradford's so accurate. Like, that's going to transfer over to the, to the regular season. Like, oh, man, look look at this. Like, you know, Darren Sproles, you get him matched up one-on-one, that's a touchdown every time. And, wow, the secondary is playing so well. And I think, actually, a lot of the, the defense, act, I think, has played fairly well through the first two games. I mean, they, the secondary was bad against Atlanta, but overall the front seven, I just don't think the defense has been the problem. But I think with, with, with Bradford what you see is now that he hasn't played in so long and he's being thrown into these you know, regular season games where the speed's much quicker, you know, and I, I'm not a scout, so you know, take this with a grain of salt, but for, for, for what I see is he just, he, he's, making, he's getting the ball, he's looking at his one read. If it's not there, he's just he's dunking it. He's dinking and dunking it. And against the Falcons, went in the second half when they were down 17 points, everyone got so excited about that. I was like, oh, 20 of 22. Like, let's build him a statue. He just dinked and dunked down the field because the Falcons were willing to give it to him. And then, you know, it ended up backfiring on the Falcons because the Eagles almost won the game. But, you know, as Troy Aikman said during the broadcast, they played eight quarters and been really bad for six of them. So I, I just think Bradford is getting adjusted to the speed of the regular season after being out for so long. And the question is, and when he adjusts, can he be that player he was against the Packers where he ran this offense flawlessly and threw accurate passes and, you know, made the right decisions? Or is he going to be the player he was in St. Louis where, you know, everyone says, oh, he's dinking and dunking it because of what the offense, the defense is showing the Eagles. Well, then this is what they've been showing Sam Bradford for five years because he's never thrown the ball deep. So if he adjusts and, you know, is able to knock some of this rust off and, you know, can make his be- make better reads and not like in those receivers, then, I agree with Echo. This season's far from over. I still think they're going to win the division. But the flip side of that is Bradford has to play better. I mean, Bradford's never made the playoffs. So it's not like expecting him to go 10-6, and six, you know. It, it's asking a lot, I guess. It is asking a lot. I mean, this is a guy that's never done it. And, I mean, I, I think the elephant in the room still is Sam Bradford. The offensive line's been awful. We know that the running game hasn't gotten going. This doesn't help him. But, you know, you wonder after a while, how long do we give Sam Bradford in his career before he's the common denominator in all this? I mean, he's, he's started 51 games in the NFL, Mark. He's won 18 of them. His team has won 18 of those games. There's a lot of issues. Tie, tie one. And he did tie one. He knew that. He, he wasn't waiting for the second overtime like another quarter. <laughs> that, that is right. But at what point here do you start saying he has to get them out of this? I mean, he's the quarterback of the team, and he just hasn't shown the ability to do that. Well, I'll, I'll take the other side and say how long before you say, hey, Sanchez, get warmed up. It didn't take me very long. I've been you saying that. You were saying in preseason before you flipped. But, uh, God, I can't believe I did that. But, no, I mean, I, 
like I said, I don't. I really believe with the when you look at the NFC East, the Giants are also zero and two and blew two games. They're having problems. Dallas is two and zero, and God bless them. They're two and zero. They 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 won two games somehow, some way. But now they have they have Brandon Whedon's Brandon Whedon is their starting quarterback for at least the next eight weeks and maybe ten. Des Bryant isn't coming back for maybe eight, you know, another seven, eight weeks. We don't know. They're going to lose some games coming up. Dallas, I don't see Dallas turning two and zero into six and zero or eight and or eight and one. They could be. I mean, they could easily go two and six over the next eight weeks with with what they're playing. Um, the Redskins, I got watch them win the division somehow. But mm-hmm. I could put Kirk Cousins. I don't. I don't see that happening either. I really believe you. I really believe nine wins would be plenty. And if it's the right eight and eight, it might win this division. I real. I'm 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 looking at all the teams saying. I don't, I don't see any of them getting on a roll. So basically, the Eagles, if the Eagles can go, what, eight and six the rest of the way, you know, nine and five, they can win. They can win this division. And that's what it's all about, right? Winning the division. Last year they went ten and six, which normally is good enough to get you in, and they didn't get in. It wasn't good enough. You know, but they have to get rolling. They, the Eagles have to. Wayne Johnson, I thought, said it best last night when he, or uh, you know, after the game when he when he said. Next week we'll define our season. If they come up with a good effort, beat the beat the Jets, that could get them on a little bit of a roll, turn things around. But if they go out, and let me tell you, the Jets' defensive front is better than Atlanta's and Dallas's, so they're they're facing some pretty good players there: Muhammad Wilkinson and, and Sheldon Richardson and 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 the rookie from uh, SC Williams. That's a that's a very very good front. So this offensive line has to wake up and and play its A game next week. And another, you know, we've been, at least I've been kind of negative about the team so far through this podcast, but one, one, one positive to take, and Echo touched on it a little bit, is this division is very winnable. And if, if you were to tell me the Eagles were 0-2 after their first two games, and the reason they were 0-2 was the offense and not the defense, I would say that isn't the end of the world because you have to think there's some level that Chip will turn this around. Whereas opposed to if they were losing these games, you know, 41-38 to 38 and – the secondary was a mess, and I mean, the secondary has not been great, but at least the defense hasn't been terrible. I mean, you know, they were decent for stretches against Atlanta. The secondary was bad, but then yesterday against Dallas, I mean, granted Brandon Whedon was in there for part of it. They still only gave up 20 points and really only 13 when the game was still in question. So I think the defense has played well, and that's one thing to be encouraged about because if the offense can turn it around, and you have to think there's a better chance Chip can turn it around than Billy Davis would be able to. So if you trust Chip will turn this around and the defense can keep playing at this level, I really don't think it's a stretch to think this team can go on a, you know, win five out of seven games or something. Because, again, the schedule I don't think is that hard. I mean, they have – granted, they're not playing well. So I'm sure other teams are looking at the Eagles and saying that about their schedule. But I do think this is a team that could still win nine or ten games just because I still have faith that Chip can turn this offense around. But again, it all comes down to Bradford. You know, we can make that point with everything, but Bradford has to play better. But I do think this team could still win nine or ten games. Mark had mentioned there uh, Lane Johnson and what he had to say. He also talked about maybe the team being a little overconfident based on what they did in the preseason and maybe walking into the regular season with an inflated, you know, sense of themselves and what they could be. Did you guys sense that? I mean, when they took the field Monday night in Atlanta and then you know back home Sunday against the Cowboys first two games of the year. Did you notice anything like that in the way they just were or the way that they were composing themselves, that this team thought they were better than they were? I mean, focus has not seemed to be a problem for Chip Kelly teams, but 
you're looking for a reason why things have gone sour here, and then you hear Lane Johnson use the word and maybe acknowledging overconfidence. Did you notice anything like that, Mark? Atlanta, I think I would I might agree with that. I think they were. I think they they might have got caught up in all the press clippings a little bit. Uh, you know, national guys picking them to go to the Super Bowl. Peter King saying they're the best team in the NFC. Blah blah blah. I think they they kind of got caught up. Also, I think they might have got caught up in while they were getting all those accolades. Everybody was saying, "Oh my God, the Falcons are a disaster. Their, their offensive line is terrible. Matt Ryan is not going to he's going to be killed back there. This Atlanta team's." So I think I think there was. A little bit of yeah, we're going to roll over Atlanta here, and that, that's and that caused a terrible first half when when they were down 17. I don't think they were over. I don't see how they could be overconfident or even not focused on the Cowboys. That's your rival. That's a division game. That's a team that knocked you out of the playoffs last year. You know they won a division. You 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 didn't go to the playoffs. So I don't. I that would be that would really really startle me if 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 someone told me that they were overconfident playing the Cowboys. The thing, that, the thing that stuck out to me was after the game yesterday in the locker room, it was one of the, like, quietest and emptiest locker rooms I've been in since Chip took over the team. Like, this team is pretty filled with guys who are willing to stand up and, and talk after games. And there were players that talked. I'm not saying any players ran and avoided it. But, I mean, I don't know if you agree with this, Mark. You were in there as well. Like, it just seemed – I agree. I do agree. It, it seemed, like, quiet and, like – just kind of like a like the bubble. It reminded me of covering some of the teams that were in the like after a playoff loss. Right. It reminded me of. It reminded me of. Um. I think it was three years ago. It was the there was a game against the Lions where they were playing great. It was at home, then they blew it in the second half, and it was when Juan Castillo was still the defensive coordinator. So this is definitely a while back. This was maybe four years ago. But I remember standing in the locker room that day. It was midway through the season. And thinking like, wow, like this team realizes they're not very good, and that team ended up not making the playoffs that year. But I think the feeling I got last night was a feeling of like, whoa, like what just happened here? Like we're supposed to be really good, and we just got killed. And so it'll be interesting to see how this team like bounces back, and whether they're able to go to the, um, you know, whether they go into New York and they play with confidence because the confidence was clearly there. And I don't even know if I want to call it overconfidence because they were producing. It wasn't. It wasn't like they had a bad preseason and they were still saying like, "Oh, it's just preseason. It'll be fine." I mean, they were playing very well. And even against Dallas, you know, Malcolm Jenkins tweets before the game, "We're looking forward to silencing our haters." Well, after the game, I mean, I'm telling you, like, the locker room was one of like, "Whoa, like, what just happened here?" So I'll add this, Elliot. I sensed more of guys being a little upset yesterday, and that's a good thing. Because yeah. after Atlanta, I was upset that. Some players acted like, oh well, yeah, well, we got beat. It happens. Guys weren't that guys weren't that bothered that they lost that Atlanta game. Not, I'm not and I'm not saying the whole team, but I had the guys I talked to. Some of them just didn't seem, well, yeah, well, it happens. The NFL things happen. We're gonna, you know, we'll bounce back. We'll, we'll. Yesterday was more of a like, hey, we got work. This is on us. We're man. Like the guys, Demarco Murray was a good example of a guy that, you know. Kip Kelly comes out and says the running backs were fine. It was all the offensive line's fault. Murray's asked the same thing. He says, "No, no, no. Hey, listen, the line, it's all of us. I'm, I got to look in the mirror. I'm the. I'm going to be the first guy to look in the mirror." And 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 he and he took you know he took the blame and he and he he Marco Murray's shirt. I didn't know a lot, a lot about him. You know, coming in, I'd heard some things from from Dallas writers about him that weren't very complimentary. He showed me a lot yesterday. Not you know not on the field obviously, but <laughs> like the way he talked. 
after the game and 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 I, you know for a player of his stature and you know to come in and say listen I'm, it's on it's on me it's on us we have to fix he was very good and that, and that not that not that talking wins games for you but it I just thought it was better than what I saw the week before in Atlanta when guys didn't really seem to care that much if they lost. All right, thanks, Mark. Mark had a run there. He, uh, he had a pre-commitment at this time, so Mark had to jump out. He's going to come back with us next week, uh, and he'll be with us as always. But, Elliot, Mark was just talking about the, the feeling in that locker room after the game and just the way, and you could sense it. from. I mean, Eagles fans, I think, are worried right now. I mean, you interact with so many of them um, on a daily basis. It feels like right now, at 0-2, there are a lot of people who doubted Chip Kelly that are kind of sitting back and just laughing and saying, see, I told you. And there are a lot of people who believed in everything Chip Kelly did that are kind of teetering right now. Do you sense that, too? There's a lot of worry about what this team is? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's also important to remember, like, the things fans say on Sunday and Monday are not how they're going to feel, like, come Thursday or if they win next week. I mean, during the game, you know, people are saying, is Chip Kelly on the hot seat, which is, like, a ridiculous thing. Like, Chip, Jeffrey Lurie is probably years away from firing Chip on his own. Like, Chip could leave. I mean, who knows? But Chip, Chip is not on the hot seat. I mean, he owns the seat. Like, he owns everything in that Novacare. Like, I know Lurie owns the team, but in theory, he's given, he's given the keys to Chip. Chip's not going anywhere. And it was funny because, you know, all off season, I don't know, like, people have said I've been negative about Bradford and everything, and maybe I have, but... So I feel like now I'm almost being the voice of reasoning and saying, like, look, like, it's just two games. And, yes, it's, they were bad, especially the Cowboys one. The Falcons one wasn't as bad. The Cowboys one was definitely a smack in the face for this team. But I still think everything will ultimately end up being okay. I just think there's too much talent on this roster. Um, and, you know, I just I don't think the division's very good. I don't think their schedule's very hard. So if they can just turn this around a little bit, I, I do think everything's going to be okay, even though right now – Fans are certainly worried, and I guess with good reason when you see what they put on the field yesterday or on Sunday. Yeah, it's fair. I think it's fair to question Chip Kelly and question what the heck's going on right now with a team that you know won 10 games of back-to-back years, and then he changed the team over, and now they're 0-2. And I think the first two weeks, it's fair to say that he, his team was outplayed, obviously, and he was outcoached. Certainly on Monday night, I thought he was outcoached. And yesterday, I thought the same thing as well. And, you know, Elliot, I thought back to... I think it was in June, Kerry Williams, who moved on to the Seahawks, had some stuff to say about Chip Kelly. Not surprising. He said at times last year they were outcoached, and they also, uh, at the end of the year, they were tired. They were exhausted. And then Byron Maxwell, I think you had the piece on NJ.com, you know, kind of acknowledged the same type of thing. He didn't say they were outcoached, but he said they were exhausted. The defense in the fourth quarter, I think the time of possession was 40 minutes and 30 seconds to 19 minutes and 30 seconds. I mean, is this just is what it is when the Eagles have a tough day offensively? This is the way it's going to look because of the way they run their offense? Or, it's, I mean, at some point here, does Chip Kelly have to say, I, maybe I have to change a little bit? It's an interesting question because this is a small sample size of just in terms of the lack of production on offense. I mean, over the two years of Chip here, when you look at it in, in a whole, this offense has scored a lot of points. But there's definitely been games where, they struggle, but I'm sure you could look at any team over a 16-game schedule and certainly over 35 games. It's just days offense doesn't work. You know, and, and Chip was asked Monday whether, you know, that exact question you asked me, whether he thinks he has to maybe, you know, change some things around, maybe, maybe milk the clock a little bit in between plays just to give his defense time to rest. And he essentially said no. I mean, he said he's going to run his offense the way he's always run it. And you can't blame him for that because there's been results. Now, the problem is, you know, you talk about Maxwell. So – 
Yesterday he's at his locker, and he's asked about the uh, touchdown he gave up to Terrence Williams, where he essentially, you know, you look at it, and it looks like he gives up. I mean, he plays 10 or 12 yards off, 12 yards off of him. Terrence Williams goes straight, cuts in. Maxwell makes what could really be described as half-hearted effort to try to grab him, and Williams goes untouched to the end zone. So Maxwell's asked about it after the game, and he says, you know, basically he was tired, that he, he went to go after Williams, and he just didn't have that burst. And I think that's fair. I mean, you know, he said himself, you know, we're all humans, he's a human, and he's just, you know, far more richer. <laughs> he's got way more money than uh, a lot of humans. But, I mean, if the Eagles' defense, you know, overall they've, they've not played bad. So I don't think this is a thing where you have to change your whole system. But there are going to be days like this. There's just going to be days where they're on the field for 40, 45 minutes. With that defense on the field, regardless if it's 40 minutes or 30 minutes or, or less than that, um, they lost on Sunday. Kiko Alonso had to come out of the game. They also Kendrick's come out of the game, which took maybe two of their better three or four players on defense off the field. And as we'll go through the week, we'll find out exactly the severity of injury for everyone and, and how long everyone will be out. But you saw what the defense you know, was like without them. And, I mean, there's a noticeable difference. They didn't get torched yesterday. Part of that was probably because, you know, Brandon Whedon was out there. They didn't get killed without their two big linebackers. He did go, I think, seven for seven. So He did, yeah. No, I mean, he did move the ball. But I just think overall you look at how the defense played yesterday, and I think they ended up giving up close to 100 yards rushing or close to it or something like that. So that's a little surprising. But, you know, I think most days if the Eagles' defense holds a team to three, three or six points at halftime, was it, or – and 13 points midway through the third, the Eagles are going to win a lot of those games. I mean, I know they had that last touchdown, but the Eagles are going to win a lot of games where they only give up 13 points midway through the fourth. So that is one thing to be encouraged about. And I know there was no Des Bryant, but, I mean, Des is going to be there for a while. So you can only play who's on the field, and the Eagles did overall a pretty good job. And then you look at actually what the Falcons did to the, um, to the Giants on Sunday. I mean, Julio Jones had a good game. Falcons almost won that game. Or they, I'm sorry, they did win that game. My bad. So, I mean, the Falcons, maybe they're a better team than we think. Um, so, you know, overall, the defense has not been, in my opinion, has not been disappointing the first two two games. No, I agree with that. And the Falcons, they did win it, and they go, I think they play Dallas coming up in week three, so they'll have a chance to go 3-0 and um, against the NFC East. And, you know, we were talking about earlier when Mark was still with us, the NFC East. I mean, that, that to me, has, has kind of changed the whole conversation around the Eagles right now. I mean, we talked last week about the Dallas game being a must-win game for the Eagles, they lost it. We're reflecting on it, and you know we're still talking about the Eagles winning this division. And right. you know that I mean the play Jordan Hicks made to take the ball away from Tony Romo. Ultimately, Romo got hurt on that play. You know when we when we walk away from this season, that might be the play. You know in a game where the Eagles were so disappointing, so many bad plays. That play where Jordan Hicks hits Tony Romo, you know that could turn out to be the play of that game that that has the longest lasting impact. And this is what I what I was saying during the game was, do you, you think the Cowboys would trade a loss yesterday to have their quarterback for the next eight weeks? I mean, the Eagles ultimately came out in in a larger sense better off yesterday than they than the Cowboys did because you know I know the Cowboys are two zero, but it's really hard to see them going. Let, let's say Robo misses eight weeks. I mean, what do you think best case scenario for them is four and four? I mean, the the defense is not that good. Although Sean Lee did have a good game yesterday. I just, I, you know, if the Eagles can just be tied with the Cowboys when by the time Romo gets back, I think they're going to win this division. And I, I think there's a good chance that that'll be the case because I don't think the Cowboys are going to play better than 500 football over the next eight games. Now, 
can the Eagles play over 500 football? I mean, that's the question. I mean, we're assuming a lot of these things with the problem with the Eagles are going to turn around, and I do. I do believe they will turn around. But if they don't, obviously it's not going to matter who the Cowboys quarterback is. What part of the Eagles, Elliot, do you think is – are you most confident that's going to turn around? Mark earlier mentioned the thing that surprised him the most with the team the first couple of weeks, how bad it's been, has been the running game. I, I would second that, even though I had questions about the offensive line, the guards in particular. I just figured because Chip Kelly teams always have run the football very well. I mean, you go back to his days in small college football. They always run the – he always has good running games. The first, I mean, yeah, that was just – I've never seen a team run the football as bad as the Eagles did on Sunday. So of all the aspects, because you're confident here they're going to, or you think they're going to turn it around and, and be a, a pretty decent football team before this is all said and done, what aspect of the team do you think makes you that most confident it's going to happen? I can't believe I'm about to say Sam Bradford, but I, <laughs> I kind of feel like they'll get the passing game going. I mean, the run game, the issue with the run game is you don't have anybody that you can put in at guard that's going to turn this around. I mean, I, you know, Chip was talking on Monday about why he picked these guards, and he said, well, uh, you know, Gardner played well for us eight games last year, and he did. The Eagles ran the ball well last year with Gardner in there. Then he goes, well, with Barbary, you know, he played for us against Green Bay a few years ago. Like, I mean, Barbary has a far less proven track record than Gardner does, really. So the running game, I do think, is going to continue to be concerned, but I just look at the Eagles receivers with Aguilar and Jordan Matthews and, and you know, Zach Ertz as, as the tight end and Sproles out of the backfield, and it just feels like you combine them with Chip Kelly, who I, who I do think is a very good you know, offensive mind. I, I, just, I do think that will turn around. And so for that to turn around, I guess Bradford has to play better. And I, I, just, I still kind of think he does, even though I've been so skeptical about him. I just can't imagine he could play any worse. And if you ask me at the end of the season, they made the playoffs, why did that end up happening? I would think it would say I would say it was because they got the passing game going and Bradford improved his play as opposed to running game. I mean, they're not going to – you know, DeMarco Murray is going to finish more, with more than 88 yards on the season. I mean, the running game has nowhere to go it up. But I, I just, I'm more confident that Kelly will get it figured out throwing the ball than I will that the play of this, these offensive guards is going to turn around. You mentioned Brad. The wide receivers, to me, have been a little disappointing here. I mean, maybe we should have accounted for this a little bit more. At least maybe I should have when I was thinking about this team. They're young. I mean, the, the older ones aren't very good anymore with Austin, and, and Cooper probably was never really that good. But, you know, Matthews and Aguilar, they're young, and they, young receivers have drops. They have issues out there once in a while. They're not as consistent as veteran wide receivers, and I thought we saw a little bit of that on Sunday. I mean, Matthews, I mean, that, he had a couple big drops, and I like him, and he's a good player, but and that's an issue if that keeps happening. I'm not ready. I'm, I'm in the minority here, but I'm not ready to rip the receivers as, on, on the drops as much as other people are. I mean, I think on the season they've been credited with four drops. Um, I think there's been some throws that people have said are drops that I don't think were. I mean, Bradford's not been accurate. He's throwing high. Like like the the interception against Atlanta. I know we've, not, we've talked about this play to, to death. But now that you've seen Bradford play two games, I think it's pretty clear he's going high with his throws. So against Atlanta, Matthews jumps, and he, it definitely did. He should have caught the ball. It is a drop. But it's not. these aren't super accurate throws Bradford's throwing. So the receivers are dropped four balls, and that's actually, I think there's like, I looked this up earlier today, like nine teams in the NFL that have more drops, and the Patriots are one of them. So receivers drop balls. That happens. But if in the grand scheme of things, when you look and you say Bradford's attempted you know, I, you know, off the top of my head, like roughly like 90 passes, and only three of them have been dropped. I mean, that's three or four. 
that's not a huge margin. I, I think where the where the receivers more need to step up is is getting open, and that's maybe where their youth is showing a little bit. Is you expected them to just come in and be able to beat these NFL quarter cornerbacks, and they haven't really been able to do that. Another part of it is they're not breaking a lot of tackles, and the offense was built around yards after the catch. Where Brett, the ideal way this works is they run the ball, you know, three or four yards. Brad, then on the next play, Bradford drops back, hits somebody with a six, a, a, you know, a quick slant route, and he's able to gain an extra four or five yards after the pass, or ideally more. And that's not happening in, in the in the passing game. These receivers aren't breaking tackles. So my concern isn't so much that they're these drops because those are going to happen. And yeah, see, they have been big ones, but I don't think that's a problem. My concern is more that they're not getting open and they're not they're not showing that playmaking ability that they did in, in the preseason. No, they're not, and that's that's been a big part of this. They they make the catch, and that seems to be it uh, after the catch. So now, as we look forward a little bit here. They'll be playing the Jets on Sunday. We're recording this podcast on Monday, so the Jets will play tonight. So we don't have a full picture of what that team will be, either 2-0, 1-1-obviously. Uh, they won their Week 1 game. But we do know a little bit about them, as we were talking about earlier. They have a good defensive line. They have a really good defense. Uh, they have a number one wide receiver in Brandon Marshall. So I mean, we know what kind of problems the Jets present. But coming into the year, I mean, you looked at that matchup and you said, that's, that's an Eagle win. That's a team the Eagles should be, especially because Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, is the starting quarterback of the Jets. We're past the point of must win. Right. Obviously, the Eagles have to win the game, but when you think about the Jets and the Eagles, have you started to rethink each game now based on the based on the way I want to ask it is, have you changed your mind about how the Eagles should do against each opponent, and are you kind of more skeptical now right. going into a game like the Jets? I think it's kind of reached a point where it doesn't really matter who the Eagles play. I mean, they've lost five of six games. You know, they're just not a winning football team right now. So you look at the Jets, and, you know, as Mark mentioned, there's certainly matchup problems. The Jets front, uh, the Jets defensive line is going to be a problem for the Eagles offensive line. I mean, you know, the quarterback situation with the Jets isn't great, and that, that should be good news for the Eagles secondary. But the Eagles have to stop, they have to stop beating themselves. And what they really need to do is they just need to win just to get that, that confidence back. I mean, you know, the turnovers by Bradford. Um, you know, the, the, the guards aren't playing well regardless who they're against. So, you know, you, you talk about the Jets. Should it be a win? Yes. But I also think the Eagles are better than the two teams they, that they lost to. So at this point, I don't know how you could pick the Eagles to beat anybody until they do it. And that was my logic against the Cowboys, and I almost picked it. I almost picked the Cowboys, and I ended up changing at the last minute. So, I mean, at this point, I'm not going to pick the Eagles to beat the Jets. And it has nothing to do with the Jets. It has everything to do with the Eagles and what they've done to themselves over the past five or six games, good dating back to last season. Before we wrap up episode eight of the No Huddle Show, I don't know if you, I, I think you did say it a few minutes ago that maybe you went back and watched uh, some of the broadcasting game. Obviously, you were at Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday covering, but I was watching at home. And Aikman and Buck, if you go back and, and rewatch or listen to some of you know, their sound bites from the game, they were talking about how it's one of the ugliest games they've ever seen. Troy Aikman said it was some of the worst offense he's ever seen in the NFL. And Troy Aikman has seen a lot of football games in his life. Your perspective when you were there, I mean, how ugly was that to see live? Oh, it was, it was very ugly. I mean, the, the scene before the game, you know, I, I parked my car in the, in the media parking lot, which is basically where all the fans tailgate. And, you know, it was one of the craziest tailgate scene, scenes I've ever seen. I mean, people were, I was seeing on Twitter, people were in their car waiting to get in, you know, at 8, 8 and 9 a.m. The game's not till 4. And then the energy in the stadium before kickoff, I mean, just the confidence that this team was going to explode. 
And then slowly throughout the game, it turned from, like, what's going on to just, like, pure anger. And, like, people leaving and, you know, sarcastic cheers when good things happen. I mean, it was just, in terms of the scene, it was very ugly. And then you talk about the actual football. I mean, it was just pathetic. I mean, there was no feeling whatsoever that this team was going to turn it around, which was crazy because they were only they were not down very much for the majority of the game. I mean, the game was never out of hand until it became twenty to three. I mean, even at thirteen to three or you know thirteen, when they were only down two possessions, you know that's not that's not overcomable. I mean, that you have the whole half to get over that. But just the feeling was that there was nothing they were going to do with it because they, all they were doing was throwing it short, and you saw no adjustments, you saw no sign of hope. So the scene was ugly within the stands and people left, but down on the field in the locker room, I mean, it was just, like I said, it was one of the ugliest games I've ever covered, and it reminds me of four years ago when this team, the, the dream team year, when they lost to the Lions, and it was just like a feeling of like, whoa, like what is what like what like is going on here? Yeah, and that was the end of an era, and for this was supposed to be the dawning of, um, you know, the Chip Kelly full power era, and this team was supposed to take off. It hasn't happened so far. Week three will be at against the Jets up in MetLife. Uh, the Pope will be in Philly while the Eagles are playing, so maybe that will give them some karma. I don't know. But they, they need something right now uh, as we head into week three. So, Elliot, final thoughts here. You see just the sense I get from this episode is you tend to think this thing's going to get turned around and Chip will figure out a way. Specifically, I, I mean, I guess it has to all start up front. Find a way to get that offense moving and find a way to get Bradford comfortable and get that running game going a little bit. Yeah, I do. Just because we've seen this before. We've seen this Eagles team look really bad, and we've seen them rebound. I mean, even last year against San Francisco, they had that game in San Francisco where I don't think the offense scored a single point. I think all the points were off defense and special teams. And I know they didn't end up making the playoffs, but they still won 10 games, and most years that get, that get you in. So Chip's shown the ability to make adjustments. I mean, you know, it, like I said, if the biggest problem with this team is the offense, that's almost – the best problem they could have because offense is going to turn around. I, I do believe that. It's going to take a much more extended stretch of poor play from the offense for me to think that this is a serious problem. The defense can play well. The offense turns around a little bit. I do think this team is going to be able to string together a few wins. And once you get the confidence going, and especially with Bradford, once you get his confidence going and maybe he finally realizes that potential he showed like 100 years ago, then this team can slowly turn it around. And I do think they will. We'll wrap with this because you mentioned it more than a few times in this show here. Um, 2000, Chip Kelly's first year, you had mentioned that, that they were kind of reminded you of those games against the Cowboys and the Giants when they lost back-to-back games at home. They scored a total of 10 points those two games. Do you, know, do you remember what the next week was after those two games? Uh, it was probably Oakland, wasn't it? It was Oakland. It was Nick Foles, seven touchdowns, 49 points. So if that's the omen we're going with, maybe they'll have a big night on Sunday. Oh, hey, I can't wait to see Sam Bradford's jersey in the Hall of Fame. Right next to that one we got for going 20 of 22, right? That's how we end the show right there. There you go. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to Episode 8 of the No Huddle Show, our Eagles podcast right here on NJ.com. Make sure to follow the show at Elliot Shore Parks, at Mark Eccolo 08, at Joe Gilio Sports. Subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher and leave a rating if you like the show or if you don't. Tell us uh, and leave a rating on iTunes. It helps as we move along here. Eight episodes in. Elliot, thanks for doing this. I will talk again next week. Sounds good. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> 